When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Second episode of uh, Gamecock Gateway here on Gamecock Central Radio. Um, the, the second one of the last like two, two months? months? Yeah, two yeah. months ish. We're, we're going to try and crank these out a little bit now that football season's over. Uh, crank these out a little bit more frequently than what we have been doing. But Colin Taylor here, uh, Gamecock Central staff writer with uh, Justin Hall, um, who's worked with Gamecock Central in the past and is still doing some stuff with us now. Um, coming to you live from my apartment. <laughs> sitting at our kitchen table, but uh, a lot of Gamecock stuff to talk about, um, but, you know, just I want to get your thoughts first on the men's team, uh, obviously coming off a big win this week at Georgia, and um, they got a big week ahead of them. We're recording on Tuesday, roughly five hours before the Kentucky game, um, so we're not going to give predictions on that because this will come out after the Kentucky game. Um, but I just want to get your thoughts on the men team as a whole and a big stretch of games against ranked opponents over the next few days. Big stretch of basketball coming up for them. That was a big win on the road mm. uh, down in Stegman to get that win over Georgia, which is always a rock fight. It's always really, really hard to watch. And they are, they're, it's hard, like Frank plays a system where yes. games can turn into – I mean, he, even he's called them rock fights. Yeah. Um, both teams are very defensive-minded. Sure. We want to say it like that. You, you want to call it defensive minded? Yeah. Or not? Okay, uh, sure. Okay. The, we'll South Carolina, I think he'll be the first to say they didn't have a good shooting day. No. no. <laughs> but, <laughs> have they had a good shooting season? Yeah. Um, but it's been, like you said, it was yeah. a rock fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember the first game, one of the first times Carolina played Georgia under Frank Martin. It was a CBS game. It started at 2 p.m. And I've always, I always believed in Frank Martin when he first got hired. I thought he was the guy for the job. And I think that came to fruition last year, but um, I was one of the five people who watched South Carolina-Georgia that day, and I think the score at halftime may have been 12-5. to 5. Oh, it, it was it was so bad. And the good thing is for these two teams, I mean, we could move away from Georgia in a second, but you think about how much these two teams have played each other over the last three or four years and how impactful it's been in the, in the conference race, in the tournament race. I mean, Georgia single-handedly kept Carolina out of the tournament a couple years ago mm-hmm. with the, they win with that the Lithuanians and, the, yeah. and Carrera. So it, it's good to be – if you're a Carolina fan, you want to beat Georgia and everything. You want to beat Georgia in tiddlywinks if you have to. You just want to beat Georgia. It's kind of your thing. Mm-hmm. And so getting that win to, to break the schneid is very important um, because South Carolina's backed themselves into a corner with opening losses in two games and then beating Vanderbilt and then beating Georgia. Um, gives you some juice for Kentucky – uh, tonight, I, I you know we're not going to give predictions, but I don't I don't know how it's going to go. I just mm-hmm. think it's very important. You need to in basketball, I think it's important to split the week if you have to work a split. And this week's very hard to do that because you have two of the best teams in the SEC in Kentucky yeah. and Tennessee. And it's going into the year. You know, you looked at I said it earlier on our prediction podcast. Uh, you you think you know this week's the easy week. You know, you got Kentucky, which Kentucky's Kentucky, but then you have Tennessee on the back end. You're like, all right, 
you know, take it, it, Tennessee's a nice deep breath, um, but now they have you know Admiral Schofield and these guys that are just I mean Rick Barnes has built his program people. Yep. Um, and it's Tennessee's a tough matchup for South Carolina because they're it's they're lucky they're at home. Uh, Tennessee is what South Carolina was last year. Um, with now Rick Barnes kind of getting their guys, his guys in there, and um, just, you know, they're, they're more experienced. They're kind of a veteran team. Um, they have a lot of veteran leadership, I should say. And uh, South Carolina is young. So it'll be an Very interesting young. week. And then you have, you know, Florida after that. I, I'm, 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 looking at the, I'm looking at the schedule. <laughs> yeah. You have Tennessee at home. Then you're, you travel to Gainesville. And then, then three days later, you play the number eight right now, the number eight team in the country in Texas Tech. Yeah, you, you get them in the in the in the challenge. Um, then you get a Mississippi State team that's coached by Ben Howland, who's never going to be an easy out. A and M, who's still a really good team, they're just banged up. Arkansas on the road. That's it's, two. That's two road games. Yeah. Uh, there. I mean, try go try go to play them in, in yeah, Bud Walton. It's, it's and then a, you play Florida and Tennessee, and then Auburn again. Yeah, you and play Auburn's Auburn. leading the league. Auburn's so. leading the league, and then you play Georgia again to wrap up the season. Yeah. So, And people, a lot of people talk about the SEC not being great in basketball. I'm, and, I'm sorry. But, and then you, but you have guys that are going to be you know, draft picks this year. you got ranked teams. The, the SEC could potentially have, I would say, three to five Sweet 16 talent teams this right. year with, you know, you know, Florida can get there if they don't if they get healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas A and M could Texas A and M's a Final Four team if they can get, if they get healthy. You know, and Tennessee then you obviously have Missouri who's been, who's playing well as of late. Tennessee who's playing well. Kentucky's playing well. Um, oh, and then in the middle of that, you get a Texas Tech team that at the beginning of the year thought was pretty equal matchup and is now you know <laughs> knocking off yeah knocking off teams in the Big Twelve. Yeah, just you know taking care of Kansas. So yeah, no, it's it's South Carolina's freshman next year. That are going to be sophomores, freshmen this year. They're going to be sophomores next year. Are going to be a uh, well versed in playing <laughs> playing talent. And, and that's the thing that Carolina fans need to remember. So if you're listening to this, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to talk to you for just a second, and we're going to talk about with the women's team too. But I've I've come to this realization over the past week and a half to two weeks, or the whole ba- basketball season since I watched this team play um, a home game. I covered it back in the early part of the season. You reached the mountaintop last year, a, a magical Final Four run. You lose three seniors, your best player, SEC Player of the Year, top scorer, period. And PJ left as well, mm-hmm. thinking he could get on a pro roster, and that hasn't worked out for him. And that's not that's not about concern. Play, I guess he's playing pretty well. He's playing pretty well, the, uh, but that's the G League. <laughs> yeah, sponsored by Gatorade yeah. now. So listen, he's 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 going to one day become a good pro. I, I believe that. I believe he has the talent. But you lose four big contributors. You replace those contributors with uh, Frank Booker, who's never played in a Carolina uniform, Wes Myers, uh, Justin Manaya. So you're replacing them really with Coatser, Gravit, and Silva. Yeah, who and then Hassan uh, Gravit's, you know, he's a good player, um, but he's still trying to learn how to play point and yeah, make. He's not a point guard. That's and, the thing. and make correct decisions with the basketball, right. and not turn the ball over, right. which is. Um, Something I think that, you know, Corey Holden can come back. That's going to be a big boost for this team just to give him some depth. And maybe having Brian Bowen in practice will help. Yeah. And that, and that would do yeah. some good things. Brian Bowen and, you know, Ralph Elder. Ralph Elder back. back in yeah. the fold. And, 
uh, working through his things that you know Frank's going to make him. So who knows what can happen over the next couple weeks? What if this team? I'm I'm not saying they will because I I don't believe this to be the case. But what if this team comes out and starts throwing punches and starts winning a couple of these games? Gets a win over Tennessee, gets a split with Florida, wins another one against Georgia, shocks Auburn. You know something happens where this team this team could be an eight or nine seed again and get back to the tournament. I think think it's an IT team. Yeah, they have to really really go on a run here late. Um, And you know, give Frank Martin credit; he's doing a pretty good coaching job with this team, you know, and he's, um, I'll give Frank Martin some credit, you know, he's still, even he admits that he's trying to figure this team out still, Um, just because every time they get close to figuring things out, Corey Holman goes down with an injury, or, you know, Hassani, you know, Hassani goes down with an injury, things like that, so they're just now getting to the point where they can figure out what they can be, Um, and I think that's going to be, this is a measuring stick stretch. Oh, for yeah. South Carolina over the next two weeks. Where are you? Um, yeah. And you kind of see where you are in terms of development um, and then, you know, kind of figure things out after that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they play um, and if things can kind of build on that Georgia win. Yeah. And then you go look at the other side. you got women's basketball who – I mean, the women's basketball team for the last couple of years has been the toast of the university. I don't think there's any question about that with, ba- with baseball falling on a – "Quote unquote hard times." Right. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, football going through transition. Men's team up until last year being on the up. Um, the women's team has been the toast of the university, and now you come off of a national championship over an SEC team. You come in this year a lot of a lot of hype, and I, this last game against Tennessee. I, listen, people forget about Tennessee because Pat Summitt's not the head coach, but Holly Warlick, the job she's done there, they've been to the Elite Eight three of the last five years. Yeah. They're and, still Tennessee. Yeah, and they turn out talent, and South Carolina obviously didn't have, you know, Asia Wilson for that game. Right. Uh, but it's it's a team that's not deep right now. Yeah. And, and they're injuries, trying to find themselves. Injuries are kind of taking their toll. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, you know, Bianca Cuevas-Moore's been out with that knee injury. Um, Lindsey Spann was out for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. Asia Wilson, we don't know how long she's going to be out. She's out of the – they said that she was going to get out of the cast – on Monday, so she's out, and they're kind of evaluating based off that. So um, they they're still trying to figure it out, and they ran out of gas against Tennessee. They did. And they fought. They fall back to with what within yeah, four. Within four, and then Tennessee went on that run because yeah. they just couldn't. They just didn't have any yeah. more left in the tank. Uh, I think it'll be good for this team because uh, it's pretty much like telling all the young kids, "All right, go out there and see what you can do. See what you can do against Tennessee. Yeah, go, you know, go for it." Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be. Uh, it, it's good for them come tournament time. Yeah, they're going to make the tournament. Yeah, they're going to make the tournament. South Carolina, a bad women's season for South Carolina is going to be a top twenty-five finish yeah. and, a, and, a, and a four seed at the worst. Just four seed, the worst. You're probably going to make the Sweet Sixteen just because you know you're talented. Because you're talented, and talent usually wins in more so in women's basketball than deep, men's. Right. Um, and you know, you you look at you know, the the women's is nice too because if you're a top sixteen. One of the top sixteen seeds, you get home games. Right, you get two. Uh, yeah, yeah, you get two home games. Um, so that's going to be big for South Carolina because you know thirteen thousand people come to women's games, and mm-hmm. which is unprecedented in, in terms of UConn, yeah, yeah, UConn, Tennessee, and those teams can get thirteen. Stanford. South Carolina is now doing it too. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you know this is a, a tough stretch because you know you have so few players. If Asia Wilson can't go. Um, mm-hmm. For this week against Vanderbilt, you know, they could be playing with you know eight to nine players, on which the bench, is not good which is, for that. Yeah, you know, um, 
And Tennessee exploited that well. I think they ran in transition a lot, and they had a lot of quick offensive sets yeah. to kind of tire them out. But um, it'll be interesting to see because, you know, I think that they lost a lot last year with, you know, Alicia Gray and Kayla Davis both deciding to go pro. Um, Which was a good decision for was, both. Yeah, of them. go make your money. I'm and never they're gonna, doing, and, yeah. and Alicia Gray's doing pretty well for <laughs> yeah. herself, by the way. Yeah. So is Kayla. Yeah. But yeah. And I will never not tell someone to go make money. You know, if they can, if they can go make money, make money. Um, <laughs> if you're like a first round draft yeah, pick, go make money. Yeah, they're both. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I just think it's a tough stretch for Carolina, just because of injuries. And yeah. you look at their upcoming schedule. They got Vanderbilt on the road, Kentucky on the road. So they got two road games this week, and then. Arkansas at home. Arkansas is a pretty decent team, and then you get the rematch. Oh, you get the rematch. The rematch. The, the rematch of the Rock fight, my yeah. friends. Missouri, <laughs> and that's what's interesting is because that game falls right before UConn. Yeah. And so, how much energy is going to be spent from your coaching staff, from your fans, because the UConn game is a home game. Yeah. So, how much energy do you, does your does your uh, staff, your coaching staff, your support staff, your players, your fans, the university? All the juice that's going to go into that Missouri game because mm-hmm. you want to pay him back, yeah. and then you get UConn like three days later. Yeah. So I think that if you're South Carolina, um, who's now competing pretty heavily to win the SEC, it's not a give. It's not a gimme anymore because you know you have Tennessee, Mississippi State, and right. Missouri all kind of competing for that top spot too. Um, I think they'd rather have. Missouri. I mean, if it was me, I'd rather have Missouri. But yeah. you know, beating UConn you is beating obviously UConn's a big it, deal. that's a message. That's a recruiting message yeah. more than anything else. I watched them um, play Texas last night, and they're 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 a beatable team. But I just think they're too deep for the South Carolina team. Yeah, this especially year. with all the injuries. Without if, Asia, yeah. Yeah, if injuries continue to play a part uh, come February first. And Mississippi State's still undefeated, by the way. Yeah, <clears> they're, they're good. They're, they're so good. They're really good. They they were uh, they were ahead of schedule last year. Absolutely. Making the final four and, and then playing and, for the national championship, yeah, playing for a national title and beating UConn, insane. Um, but I think that you know they were a year ahead of schedule. South Carolina went on this the schedule they were supposed to be on mm. um, and won the title when they were, I guess, supposed to win the title with all those transfers coming in. Eight and cents, Asia's yeah. in her third year, um, so I think that that was. And they didn't have Elena, by the way. Yeah, I mean they <laughs> they did they did not have Elena for that tournament run, yeah. which is still mind boggling to me. National. I mean, they won the SEC tournament. Yeah, without right? Elena, and, um, and that was the question hanging over their heads. I just think, and so I don't want what I what I what I would caution fans is don't jump to conclusions. Yeah, off of one year for either one of these programs. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main thing. Is that both of these programs are on solid footing. They they've got what they need. You've got the people in place who know what they're doing. I mean, Don walked into a program that did not win. Yeah, since nineteen eighty something. Yeah, with all the due respect to Susan Walvius, they didn't win. Yeah, and that you were paying, you were literally saying, "Fans, come pay a dollar and you can come watch our team." Yeah, and Frank walked into an even worse situation. Yeah, a very talented, talent depleted team. Extremely talented depleted. You could have brought the popcorn yeah. guy down. <laughs> he could have been your point. Yeah. So. I think fans need to understand where these two teams are at. And, and, you know, if you want to take this mindset, baseball season's a month away. Yeah. I don't know how you want to take that. But I think these basketball teams are – you have chances down the stretch over the next month or two where it's the only thing on. Support the programs. And they have chances for big wins. Yeah, and I think – I think and the women's team, most importantly, is going to get those wins because Asia's going to get healthy. And Kiki uh, Harrigan, you, you will hope she's healthy as well. Yeah. And – Don luckily said that they think it's better than what they initially thought, which is a, which, which is, is a huge plus. Um, but yeah, there's potential um, with these teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I mean, obviously with the women having a you know win player of the year candidate on their team, right. and you know the you know South Carolina 
there's potential there. They've shown flashes of being able to compete um, with top-tier teams. Mm-hmm. And by no means am I comparing South Carolina men's basketball right now to North Carolina men's basketball right now. But even teams like North Carolina and Kentucky and some of the teams that are considered the blue bloods of college basketball miss the tournament some years. Um, it's rare, but it happens. It, it happens. And, and yeah. you know, you lose guys that are that meant that were probably – I'd probably put Sundarius Thornwell as the best player to ever come through South Carolina men's basketball. That's interesting. Let's have that debate. Uh, we'll have that. Uh, you can tweet with me uh, <laughs> at Justin B. Hall. That's interesting. That's that's a good – yeah, because I'm going to get the hardliner who's like – no offense, guys, but I'm going to get the hardliner who's over 60 years old who's going to say, no, John Roach is the best player to ever John play in South Carolina. Bobby Crimmins, John Ribock, they're the best. Alex English gets an argument there. Yeah. And I think you can even – B.J. Mackey. B.J. Mackey, Devin Downey. You know. But to argue, I mean, my argument is who did more for the program, I guess. You know, mm. with, you know, Sindarius was the, I mean, he was the face of Mark Madness. When that tournament run they were going, he was the face of that program. You're right. The Cinderella, the, the darling team that everyone kind of adopted. His, his, his reaction when they were beating Marquette, yeah. he was sitting under the basket. Yeah. That's the picture of that, of that whole tournament. Yeah. Which, by the way, they play, they play the tournament on loop at the men's basketball facility. Of course they do. We we walked in and we were watching, uh, waiting for Frank Martin's uh, Brian Brown press conference and Mark, the Marquette game was on. Of course it was. And it was he, one of the greatest moments yeah. of, my, of, of, my, of my South Carolina yeah. fandom was watching that game against Marquette. And he, uh, I was actually driving back. You know, I was at Tennessee. That was a baseball weekend. Um, they were playing at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, Scott Hood, um, may God rest his career soul, who's now in New Mexico right now. <laughs> if you're listening, Scott, we miss you. Um but he was at the game, and I was in Tennessee, and we were watching up in the press box as things finished up. Yeah. Um, and uh, then that Sunday, I was driving back from Knoxville when uh, they beat Duke. I was listening on the radio, uh, and I pulled into my apartment parking lot and immediately went to Five Points After to watch the reaction. Sure, of course. Yeah, and so... It was better than Five Points yeah. After to make Carolina win. Yeah, and so... But, you know, they, they play it routinely... Uh, at the men's basketball facility, but I would argue that Sundarius Thornwell um, is the most important, I wouldn't say most talented, but most important player in you can, program history. You can, you can find him on Twitter. Yeah. At Colin Bill Taylor. Yeah. You, can, you can at him on that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, that's a, that's, it depends on what generation you grew up in. Yeah. And it, it Alex really English does. is obviously up there. Alex English may be one of the greatest basketball players to ever touch a basketball. Yeah. I mean, you look at his pro career. He's top, what, top 10 in scoring. Um, you top ten, top twelve. I mean, yeah. you're you're starting to get these young pups come in and, and start hitting threes, hitting like threes it's like it's no big deal. Yeah. And I think, for what it's worth, I did not know this was going to take this turn. But I think for for South Carolina fans, what John Roach and John Ribbock and those guys meant to the '60s basketball. Uh, my granddad was a huge historian with it. He grew up with it. He watched it happen. And Frank McGuire and. I'm waiting for the moment when South Carolina names the floor at Colonial Life Arena, Frank McGuire Court. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And it, it'll happen eventually. There are, there are trophies still in the Coliseum that haven't been moved over. Right. Um, so that was a rich era of, of Gamecock basketball. So that holds a lot. That's a, you know, I could see it. I, I like Sundarius. I think what he, for him to commit four years to this program and, and literally bring the success to a head in his senior season. I think that tournament run makes it even more special. Um, He had the talent around him, Mm. and I think Devin Downey didn't have as much. I mean, Devin Downey also won a game on his own against Kentucky. Devin Downey (laughs) beat Kentucky by himself. By him (laughs) twice. 
Yeah. Twice mm. by himself. He's, that photo is still hanging in the media room at Colonial. Of Lafferty. course it is. The him on the yeah. Yeah, he he beat Kentucky by himself twice. One in Columbia and one in in Rupp. I do believe I'm correct on that. So that's that's a mm. yeah. I chew on that a little bit, people. Think about that a little bit. Don't uh, yell at me though. Alex English also is the 18th leading scorer in NBA history. Wow. Behind names such as Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant Michael Jordan, Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He actually Bryant. has more points than he does Twitter followers. Um, Stat of the day. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, Kareem, Karl Malone, uh, Kobe, Michael Jordan, Will Chamberlain, LeBron. Uh, uh, excuse me, you, you skipped Dirk, Dirk at six. Yeah. Thank you. Dirk. Dirk um, John Havlicek, Dominique Wilkins. I mean, some of the Tim greats. Tim Duncan, Paul Pierce. Yeah. His, uh, so Kevin Garnett, yeah. South Carolina yes. product. So he's right in front of Reggie Miller, yeah. by the way, who hit a lot of threes. So yeah, it's a uh, and he's in front of the logo. Mm-hmm. That's true, Jerry West, and he scored twenty five thousand six hundred thirteen career points. Yeah, not bad. Those. Yeah, that's pretty okay. That's decent. And he's just a shade under four thousand Twitter followers. <laughs> so. <laughs> so he literally has five times <laughs> yeah. the number of points as he does Twitter followers. Get on Alex English about that. Alex, you can find him at Alex English underscore two so, yeah. on Twitter. Uh, he's he's very involved in the basketball program yeah. again. And he was not there for a while. Yeah, and, and we can talk about that off the recording as to why yeah. that was. But I mean, you're getting that influence back with him. So yeah. that that's good. Yeah, he's he may be the best basketball player of all time, Carolina, in my opinion. Mm. I take him over. I, him and Sanders one on one. Yeah, take Alex okay, yeah. But but you know, Alex never went to a Final Four. If I'm gonna. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, okay, whatever. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. But, it's uh, true. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. I think we've done enough talking. Do you want to get to our interviews? With, yeah. You know? Let Langston. Take yeah. Uh, our interview today, we um, talked with Langston Moore uh, in the early afternoon over the phone on Tuesday, right before we recorded this. Um, uh, he was great. Uh, we talked from Lou Holtz to his, his playing career to going 0 16 um, with the Lions over his career. And, uh, I think he said he was the only he's the only player in NFL history before the Browns obviously did it this year that went winless first season in college and then went winless again. Uh, yeah, in the I pros. The first season in college yeah. maybe maybe the key uh, to that stat. There are very few who've done yeah. that. And so um, he was great. Uh, we talked about his book that he helped uh, write with Preston Thorne, a former Gamecock as well. And then we talked about his eat to win camp and just kind of a wide range of t- subjects. So we uh, here he is. We'll. Stop talking and uh, let you enjoy Langston Moore. Uh, welcome to Langston Moore, uh, former Gamecock uh, defensive lineman, um, current activist and kind of all around um, with Gamecock athletics and sideline reporter for 107.5. Uh, Langston, thanks for uh, joining us today. Man, thanks for having me, man. It's always uh, awesome to get on here and talk yeah. anything Gamecocks, right? Right, absolutely. Um, football season just ended, but the uh, it's, it's now talking season, so I guess that's what we're doing now. Um, so, you know, you starting to kind of, you know, diving, diving right into it. You, you wrote a book recently, um, just a chicken. Uh, just, I want to talk a little bit about that and kind of the, the writing process. Um, how hard is it to write a book and let alone a, a children's book? <laughs> well, I, um, well, going through the process with my partner, uh, Preston Thorne, who also played in South Carolina, captain for uh, I think in the 2000s uh, right after me um, going through that process of writing the book was always you know I guess being uh, young and dumb and not really know who we were getting ourselves into uh, was probably something that really helped us out because you know not knowing what you know the whole process was 
was, I guess, what a traditional children's book is. So many pages, all these different things, these certain type of fonts, it follows a certain type of art. Um, we just kind of went in there and kind of created and used some different things that, you know, our own personal story, but also the story that we used to hear from, you know, our playing days in South Carolina from Coach Holt. So, uh, you know, just kind of crafted that into our own type of deal, our own type of, you know, story of, you know, being a, uh, you know, a lot when I was at South Carolina, folks used to say we didn't belong in the SEC, so that kind of plays on the on the on the name and the, and the moniker of just a chicken or just a whatever. Uh, you know, of course, those folks up the road wouldn't even give us the dignity of calling us Gamecocks sometimes. They'd only call us just chickens and things like that. So, you know, all in that, turning that into the story, um, you know, this was actually something Preston and I have been, you know, mulling over and working on. But we were, you know, starting off, we were trying to be like super ambitious, like our coach, Coach Holton, wanted to write all these deep, you know, inspirational books. And after years of like just doing that and not really coming up with anything really good, we were like, man, let's just do a kid's book. It'll be easy. We can do it in like, you know, we'll have it before the Clemson game. We'll have it before the Clemson game. It'll take like, you know, two weeks. And, uh, you know, two or three years later, here we have our book. But uh, it's been a great process and it's been fun to do it with, uh, of course, my former teammate. Yeah. And you've been doing these uh, book stops uh, at different schools around the state. Um, do you have any more recent numbers? i got some recent numbers here that you guys have gone about over 2,200 miles across the state. Is that true? Uh, i got to actually, it's probably, uh, i got to look at the latest numbers, but every month, you know, the last fall, we went to over probably uh, 30, 35 schools this past fall, um, going about to about three or four a week across South Carolina. So we had crisscrossed the state and it was, uh, we got a chance to see some of those intimate, uh, not so thought of parts of South Carolina. Right. You know, we felt some of the coaches, you know, on the recruiting trail getting back <laughs> into some of these places, but, uh, it was great, man, because the biggest thing we could always connect with when we go to these places, uh, whether rural or our major metropolitan cities like uh, Columbia or Charleston, um, was the idea of football, South Carolina football, guys being from uh, South Carolina and everything centered around football, but also uh, marrying that up with literacy and reading has been really been cool for us to go out there and, and kind of use as a, as a way to get into these communities and to talk about literacy books. And that's something that most people, when you talk about it, it's not really a cool subject. Um, but again, just kind of blending the things and always talking about of course, what made us avid reader beyond just being football players has been really cool to go out there and share that message with the kids and schools and really especially with a lot of young boys who don't really try to make that correlation between reading and success and, and reading and being, being cool. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and what's kind of been the feedback you've gotten, I mean, on the, the book recruiting trail? And have you found some prospects maybe in the uh, the 20, what would it be, 20, you know, 28 classes? Oh, there's plenty. Of, oh, there's plenty of young athletes out there, and I'm telling you, it's you know the the, the division is still just as strong as probably as ever when I was in school between the the kids that are on the the orange and purple side and the kids that are on the guarded and black side, and then there's a few in the back that are either like confused, they're either like Florida fans or something like that. They just on the fringe or Georgia fans like that. So, uh, but it's been great to go out there and, and the reception, you know, especially from the kids. They again trying to covertly go in there and kind of you know being able to kind of share messages with them, but also to educate them and, and, and kind of hold a mirror up to some of the things that they can do beyond sport, beyond that. But the basis of all of that is going to be literacy and reading. So um, it's been great to really get that reception, not only from elementary kids, but middle school, high school, doing some of the things that we do with corporate uh, businesses and different things like that. It's been phenomenal, but especially, you know, the teachers and the educators within the school, that's been really the, the most gratifying thing to really kind of helped him out being a son of a teacher, uh, Preston being a teacher, being in the, in the classroom himself for 10, 11 years. Um, 
all of that has been super important for us to really kind of serve as the backbone and muscle for all the great things that they're doing day to day in schools. Right. And transitioning now a little bit, you know, when you're not, you know, working with your book and doing all the other things during the football, actual football season, you're on the sidelines uh, helping out with game day coverage. Um, how was that? And, you know, what do you enjoy doing about kind of live radio and being on the sidelines during games? Man, it's just, uh, it, it, it probably gets me about as close to the game as, as I want to be without having to actually, be, you know, play or be in shape or, you know, all of those things. And, um, you get to be on the off-season diet all the time, right? Yeah, at all the times, and I still have not gotten off that last off-season since the last time I played back in 2010 or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's, been, it's, it's, it's great because I've always been around radio. My father was know a broadcast journalist amazing when the South Carolina graduated was a radio for years so I was around radio in a different context he did basically like drive time and morning shows and different things up and down the east coast um and so being around radio has always been you know something I've always known but sports and obviously having a microphone in my face playing sports has always not been something that's been foreign to me so you know it kind of seemed like something that you know, always was going to be there for me so being able to do it and, and do it especially coming out the gate with South Carolina and being around my school and, and Tommy and Todd and seeing all these guys that I used to know and, and, and be around the program when I was there is really cool. But also just to be able to have, uh, you know, access to the program and still kind of be involved and, and be in it and, and that kind of sense to really just kind of talk to the players at the practices, different things like that, because that's really the, the biggest thing that I really enjoy is really to make that connection to the current guys and maybe just kind of tell them some of the bonehead things that I did and all the, the knucklehead things I did to kind of help them out so they didn't have to make some of those, uh, make some of those uh, bad choices or, or, or whatever it is. Or maybe just sometimes just being open ear for some of these guys too. Um, you know, just the, you know, Javon Kenlaw guys from Charleston, all those different things. It's really cool to connect with, with a lot of those guys because I see myself and a lot of those guys that are uh, on the sidelines right now in Carolina. And so you're doing the sideline reporting. You deal with you deal with Todd and Tommy, which is always fun. They're mm. always a they're always a hoot to listen to and, and and hang out with and talk to. And so you've been doing radio since what 2012, I believe. So let, let's go to these coaching contracts that just happened. Something that if if I, if I would have told you, uh, let's say October, let's say that Vanderbilt game, uh, the first game home game after Steve um, leaves the football team, if I'd have told you two years later you have a 9-4 and four football team with a head coach with a contract extension and two young, unproven, but very talented coordinators with contract extensions and a possible top 20, top 15 recruiting class, would you have called me crazy? Probably. Well, I'll probably the biggest question probably would have been, what's their names? Who are these people? <laughs> right. <laughs> where, where did these magical people come from all of a sudden? Um, you know, because, uh, you know, in the midst of, you know, going, losing games and doing all that, you never really know what, what bottom is and, and how things are swinging up and, and, and kind of seeing where. And it's, you know, just to put it in that context, what you guys just did, um, it's definitely, uh, you know, you always want the improvement, but to see it like that is definitely um, encouraging for South Carolina and for everybody else who, who loves that you're on the garden and black just because of, you know, all of the promising things are for the future with so much immediate success with, you know, giving us kind of a little bit of that appetite pleaser already. So it's been great to, um, again, just personally being around us and seeing kind of Coach Muschamp really have that relationship with the players, but dealing with the media, but also seeing the detail and the attention to detail, not only him, but everybody on that staff uh, really exhibits. And it's, you know, there's no, there's no, 
big surprise to me that these guys were able to win so many games so fast. I didn't know if it would be in this fashion, uh, getting to nine games so uh, so quickly, but uh, definitely will take that. And then, obviously, the newest addition to the staff was made official on Friday, Thursday night, Friday afternoon. Uh, Marcus Lattimore rejoining the staff in a non-coaching role, but director of player development. Uh, you deal with, obviously, with the book and with young kids, but then you you lived the college athlete life, and you've been there, and you've done that, and you went to the NFL, and a lot of these guys won't. They talk about it being a pipe dream. So what is it like having a guy like Marcus back in the fold with the program, being able to mentor these guys off the field? Oh, uh, man. Uh, from uh, a player standpoint, uh, I think it's, it's it's extremely exciting. You know, as a player, you get excited um, to say, man, you have a guy that really – have that 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 star quality has a lot of social capital. You know some. You know Marcus Marcus Lattimore. You know that story. You know the the build up and everything. But also the flip side of that. Also you know him from me kind of being an adult now. Uh, you know if I was detached from the program, you know seeing that flip side of Marcus having to overcome injury, um, something that's you know anybody any program could have gone through. But to have him do it on the on the stage, the front stage, and obviously the the story behind that. Um, you know, it's hard to really have somebody who's been through something like that, but to be able to, to genuinely tell kids, you know, what to look for, not just with injury, but with transitioning out of the game. Because I think that's the biggest thing. Because, again, football is such a big prominent thing in, in so many of our lives, even if, I mean, just from being players, if you played from a, as a little kid from first grade all the way through college, you know, that's that's well over 10 years of, of, of your life. And you don't you get into cycles of, of things about football. But when you don't have that sport to really rely on and football teaches you so much, um, you know, it's kind of hard to make that transition. I just from high school to college, college to NFL guys in the NFL that only stay for one or two years or stay for 10 years. Um, you know, it's really hard to try to let guys know that transition is kind of tough. And um you, you know, but there's still so many messages, and football is such a great teacher if you really are aware and conscious of some things that can be, uh, you know, learned from or, or, or extracted from the game. And I think Marcus is a guy who really epitomized, you know, if you do things the right way, you work hard, and then you do all of these intangible things that we all have control of, but couple that with just some amazing character and talent that you can go extremely far and affect a lot of people. And that's the biggest thing is even if you don't have the talent or all those things, if you can just, you know, be a man of character, uh, self-awareness, all the things that Marcus was talking about in his, in his press conference, I think that's going to be a valuable tool for South Carolina. I think that's going to be a valuable tool, not just for the athletic program, but for our, just our brand and everything. And I think it's just, again, speaks volumes to, uh, I think, about Coach Muschamp and him knowing what, we needed to have something unique like this in South Carolina, and I was glad that all of these things could be worked out because uh, nobody's going to work harder, not, nobody's going to do, do have more of an impact and really uh, give us his best foot forward than Marcus Lattimore. And, and I really love that quote where he said that, uh, you know, I want to be around here for the first championship. And, I, and that, again, a guy who's showing these young men, probably showing a lot of us adults that, you know, there's so many different ways you can affect a community, you can affect a program, you can affect a sports team without even having to put on the sweat, without even having to put on the pads and the helmet and all those different things. So, again, just continues to teach, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest things for, um, you know, Marcus and, and this program, having him be together and hopefully for a long, long time. Right, and you, you, I know you mentioned earlier about you enjoy being around the program, and you obviously were a big part of South Carolina football in the late 90s and early 2000s. What was it like playing then and playing under a guy like um, Coach Holtz? Uh, 
the thing. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's always funny because we always say, man, like the older we get, the smarter and, and cooler Coach Holtz was. Now <laughs> at 17, 18 years old, you know, you know, the reason I left school early to come to, to South Carolina, you know, in summer and summer one before everybody started coming in January, I thought I was ahead of the curve then, and now everybody comes in January. Uh, seeing this older guy, you know, and being like, man, this this guy, you know, has these white tennis shoes on. He looks like he's getting ready to go to lunch at the uh, the at the country club and play another, you know, just a short eight round of golf. He just looks like he's in retirement. But just the total opposite of that, a guy who was just, you know, sitting in those meetings, man. We always talk about the my teammates and the old guys who are in and around a program and just the wealth of you know, knowledge and just uh, take football away from it. Just the, the speeches and, and, and Fortune 500 type level management that we would get from a guy like that. But you kind of take it for granted because, you know, you're really worried about just getting this last hour of study hall in and not really wanting to hear what this uh, guy with a list has to say up at the podium. But, you know, all in all, you wish you could remember all of those things. But the cool thing about it, and again, the smarter, you know, the older we get, the smarter our coaches get and our parents get, um, he told us, you know, at one point there would be times when we wouldn't remember all the same stories and the jewels and the, and the, and the beauty of it would be getting back together, uh, relishing in that with your teammates after, you know, you've been an old guy and been away from football so long. And that's been the cool thing. We get back together at games that have been different things. Uh, just guys bring up different stories and things you forget about. And uh, that's been a really cool part about having this brotherhood, this coop that you kind of committed to long, long time ago when you were 17. You didn't realize how great it was this long. And we, we talked to Eric Kimry the last time, um, and he has a pretty spot-on Lou Holtz impression. Do, do, <laughs> do, you, do you have one? Is there a favorite story you remember? Because I there's nothing better than Lou Holtz stories, in my opinion. Man, there's so many great <laughs> Lou Holtz stories, man. Um, you know, one of the ones I always like to talk about is one time we were we were playing Tennessee and Colt. We obviously couldn't get over that Orange Crush kind of here with, uh, with Florida, Clemson, uh, Tennessee, and, and Coach Holtz was trying to, you know, trying to be the master motivator. He was trying to figure out something, you know, to get it over. And there was so much talk, I remember, in the media at that time just about the orange crush. And they were, was South Carolina just afraid of just the color orange in itself? And uh, I remember one time Coach Holtz was, you know, riled us up in this little pregame practice speech. This was a practice on maybe a Wednesday practice. I'm sure we had bull in the ring and Oklahoma drills and everything on that day anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and he goes up, gets all fired up, and he run, walks outside. He has a price stay in the meeting room. And he comes back in with his huge Tennessee helmet on. He's got it strapped up, and it's bobbling on his head. And he looks like a life-size bobblehead dog, really. <laughs> and, and we're all just dying laughing. He's like, see, this, this, is, how, this is how I want you guys to remember the Tennessee players on, on Saturday <laughs> when we take off. And uh, it doesn't mean anything. These guys are I was just like, oh, my God, this dude is amazing, man. So, I mean, there's so many stories, but, I mean, some of the best stories are the ones we probably could should be recording. Those are the ones you kind of, you know, you hear when we pull you to the side. And because, uh, as you know, Lou, Lou Wood was, a, was a, a quick-witted dude. He was always somebody who could always come up with something. But, um, I mean, just going through, <laughs> we're, we're telling the story when Lou would go through the annual, you know, end-of-the-year grades and guys who would get certain grade point averages. And I remember one time Lou called out a guy who was like, wow, son, you got a, you got a 1.62 or whatever. He's like, at least, I, I mean, I, I don't even see how you get a 1.62. I can't even do this. I can't even <laughs> see how you got the 1.62 because it, it takes effort to get a 1.62 in a class. And he's just killing this kid the whole time. But 
it was great. I mean, at the time, you're devastated because, you know, one, you never want to be that kid. You never want to be humiliated like that. But two, it held us all to be accountable. And, you know, as a family, as a brotherhood, as a football team, you know, we needed everybody's average. We needed everybody. But, you know, it was great life lessons. And it kind of remember, it kind of reminded me, of course, growing up in a household with, with siblings, you always try to learn from the older brother to not do those crazy things that they do. You won't get yelled at by your parent. But uh, Lewis, Lewis, but I'm, he was a great guy. Now, you were on the team with uh, when Kimry threw the fade and, you know, yes. the owner. What was that night like after you guys beat Mississippi State? <laughs> and what was the celebration with the team and celebration that night after you guys won that game? Man, I, I chalked those times up to just being hit in the head a lot. I don't remember a lot from those nights. But I can tell you, a lot of money was probably spent. Uh, how, how do, what do they say in any scandal? Just follow the cash. Yeah. <laughs> and that time we probably took our little bit of per diem, and we actually probably paid cash, so that probably saved us instead of the cars. But we was probably <laughs> ended up at five points somewhere, spent some money on some pizza at some point around 1 o'clock. And, uh, but it was a phenomenal night, man. It was great. I, I, I mean, this that whole game, you know, just – Anytime you see like a comeback, like the Minnesota miracle that just happened this past weekend, you you think about the times you were in games like that, and it would just go from you know just that that roller coaster of man, how are we going to do this? Uh, man, Phil Petty is hurt. Uh, I mean, all of those things going, and then Kimry comes in and just does it. And, and typical, I mean, even when I would look at the film to this day, it just looks like Kimry when he would warm up. But that's just kind of the mindset of a guy that not going out there trying to do something. Uh, and be Tom Brady or whatever. Before Tom Brady was Tom Brady, he was just relaxed and, and skill set. He told the coaches on the sideline, "Man, let's just throw the fade, man." And, and, and that was the best shot we had. Whether it was, uh, you know, Jerry Rice at the end or Sidney Rice, you know, Kerry was a guy who put it in the right position. And, and, and obviously, those those are things that make love. And to do it against on Jefferson Pilot Sports, that was always the big thing I remember. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Jolie Dunn and, yes. and Mississippi State and just that that crazy old, I mean, Fred Smoot, all, I mean, man, you don't you don't realize how many Saturdays I used to always, because that would always usually be the Mississippi State game. So they were kind of in that hierarchy and, and, and still have, have swung themselves back in the last couple of years um, in the SEC. But they were tops up there, and, and to beat them and to beat them in that fashion, man, Man, that was huge. It was it was huge, and and, and man, Kimry Trevor is just the man for that man. Yeah, and I've woken up from many afternoon naps to the Jefferson Pilot game in the middle of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. So yeah, bring back a lot of memories then. And um, you actually got drafted um out of South Carolina um in the sixth round, I believe. But just take me through getting that phone call. What's the you've been drafted phone call like? Oh man, uh, well for me, I was a little. Man, I was a little peeved, man. I thought I was going to go a lot sooner, of course. You know, we're all egotistical football players and think we're the best at everything. But uh, I had actually got a couple calls from uh, Seattle and some folks earlier, like the, the fourth round. So I was really excited. And, you know, kind of the, the deal is the secret, or not the secret, but, you know, what they tell you is, you know, once you start getting one or two calls, that's kind of when you're, you're, everybody starts gravitating to like, where you're really, truly going to get drafted at. So I thought one was going to lead to, you know, the whole – bunch of calls or somebody just drafted me outright and uh it didn't happen to the sixth round so <laughs> it, 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 it always reminds me that you know and that's the biggest thing that i learned with uh playing in the nfl or just you know where recruiting rankings are in where rank is period i mean it doesn't matter where you're drafted at it matters where you're going to be at three to four or five years from now especially with the nfl um it's such a transient business and there's so much turnover especially now not having guaranteed contracts and 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 teams like the Lima patriots are just super shrewd with how to you know manage their 
their 53-man roster, you know, you have to kind of always be aware that, you know, this is not something that's going to last forever. And so being able to, to, to prepare and do all the things to, to put yourself in those situations is, uh, is is a lifelong lesson. But getting that phone call and then having to talk to, uh, you know, the, 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 the I, I think I talked to actually the Browns owner, uh, uh, Mr. Brown, and uh, Marvin Lewis quickly after that because he had about – you know, uh, Mr. Brown probably had about <laughs> 10 words to say to me, oh, congratulations. If you ever heard him talk before, that's pretty much how he talks in real life. Yeah, congratulations. Cincinnati. <laughs> so that, uh, that coupled with a little bit of my own disappointment, I, you could tell I was super excited. But it was cool, man. It was cool to be drafted. Uh, I understood that once that I got that phone call, it was really about I was just excited to get to work uh, the next day. But I was still in school at that time because I was actually still – training and, and taking classes to kind of finish up to get my degree that semester and uh so i actually had to go back to class that sunday evening sunday night i had to go back to columbia sure. and get re- get ready for class the next day but it was cool man it's uh it was all good so if i tell if i tell third year pro uh defensive lineman langston moore that you get the opportunity to go up against one of these four quarterbacks in the in the championship sunday this week We'll throw Tom Brady out because uh, do you want to go up against Tom Brady or would you rather go up against Bortles or Keenum or Foles? Uh, I've gone against Tom Brady, and uh, every time I tell everybody asks me about Tom Brady, say, tell me a Tom Brady story, I tell you Tom Brady fell on his butt. It was third and ten. He fell on his butt, and he made the first down against the team I was playing one time. I was actually on the field, so it was. I saw that, and I was like, uh, nah. nah. So <laughs> let's, take, let's take Tom Brady off the board. Let's sure. take Tom Brady. Keenum, yeah. So, so Keenum, what is their, what is a defensive lineman's mindset when you go into a game like this, where you're thinking, all right, this quarterback's really not the best we've ever seen. I mean, but these guys are these guys are on the final four of the NFL season. Absolutely, and, and, it, and it, well, it's fr- as a defensive lineman, you're watching all week and you're looking, and you got your own probably personal. Uh, unless you've played Keenum or, or, or even Foles or somebody like that before or early in the season, you probably got your own opinion of them because you haven't been really watching them. But then you start to watch them tape and you're like, man, I can really get after him. If I really get a clean lick on him or if I'm able to get in the backfield and really affect him, I can really, you know, affect the outcome of the game to the quarterback. Uh, but then you probably get in the game and the guy like uh, Nick Foles continues or he starts to get warm a little bit or just like Case Keenum the other day just continue to hit those shots. Or even Blake Bortles. You think about somebody like Blake Bortles was just playing with a tremendous amount of confidence the other day uh, that you can't get to him. Or even if you get to him and you start making those shots, he doesn't he doesn't start uh, acting like you saw him on the on the previous tapes. Mm-hmm. It starts to frustrate you a little bit, and that's when you see these guys take you know those those late hits or do different things to try to really affect the quarterback and those old Deacon Jones type of head slap ways or whatever things you can't do anymore. But uh, I think if uh, if you had to ask me who would I want to go against, I would say. I'd probably say Blake Bortles, man. Um, yeah. I'd probably say Blake Bortles. Just because I saw Blake in Florida uh, when and we had the privilege to go down there and beat them up. And Mike Davis had a, a nice little day running some screens and different things yeah. like that. And I think we got a turnover to win the game. But all in all, Blake Bortles looks to me the same guy today as he did then. So I'll take that Blake Bortles. I'll try to go against Blake Bortles. So who who am I, who am I going to be eating wings watching on uh, Super Bowl Sunday? Who are the two teams I'm going to be watching? Oh man, the the the, the anarchist NFL Langston says the Jacksonville Jaguars and the I guess, I guess uh, Foles and, and the Eagles uh, the, the, a backup quarterback Foles and the Eagles, but it'll probably be 
the most boringest quarter uh, NFL Super Bowl you've probably ever seen would be the Minnesota Vikings and the Tom Brady-led uh, New England Patriots. And I'm sure Tom Brady, will, they won't even keep it, make it close. That game will probably be like 17 to, it'll be a 17-point win or something like that. They'll kill him the New England. Yeah, a lot of, uh, of five-yard out routes and runs up the middle and things like that. They're, yeah, they're just going to really, I mean, once New England probably got that, gets this lead or something like that in my hypothetical world, they'll probably just show us a lot of shots at that Brandon Stadium and all these cool little things <laughs> and not worry, not worry about the product on the football field. They'll just turn it into like a, uh, you know, like one of those sales pitches to get like a timeshare or something in Minnesota from the at, at the uh, at the new stadium or something. Yeah. And you obviously played in the league for a little bit. I think, what, six seasons, somewhere in that range. Um, yeah, what, man, I fooled, I fooled him for about six, seven years, man. <laughs> How, uh, who was one player that you were watching on film or you tackled in a game and said, nope, never going to do that one again, that one hurt too much? Was there ever a guy that you went up against and said, if I never have to play him again, I'm going to be a better person for it? Uh, Jerome Bettis was, uh, was, was as big as that. I mean, it was like tackling – bigger me i don't know with bigger with more athleticism and higher knees uh him i never really got the hit uh because i played with Corey dylan for a little bit and Corey dylan is a massive man um i never i could only really bang him a little bit in practice i never really got to, to feel the luckily me i never got to feel the full brunt of that Corey dylan that was just kind of lights out before he left cincinnati and went on to uh new england um I'm trying to think man i, I probably the one that comes to mind right away is Bettis. Of course, AP and his prime when we played them uh, in Detroit about every, you know, twice a year, we get that. Um, yeah, those, those, are, <laughs> yeah. those are the ones that I, those are the ones I can consciously remember. So the rest <laughs> of them, they just chalk up the concussion. Yeah, concussions are uh, too much pizza in five points, right? <laughs> That's right, cars. <laughs> yeah. Cars. Cars will do it every time. And, you know, you obviously bounced around a little bit from team to team. Is that hard on a player's psyche when – you know, you're you're in Cincinnati one year and Arizona the next, and then you go to the Lions and things like that. Is it hard for a player? And what was kind of your welcome to the NFL moment when you said, you know, holy crap, I'm here? Um, my welcome to the NFL moment. I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> I mean, just getting yelled at <laughs> was probably like, you know, going from you know being the star and you know, all the treatment and all of that stuff. And then we go to your first rookie minicamp. And then the guy who was actually coaching me was a Lou Holtz. Uh, he used to coach on the Lou Holtz, Jay Hayes. He's actually down in uh, Tampa now as their defensive line coach. He was all, you know, he tried to make, I, I, I'm thinking the NFL is going to be like, man, you're a pro. They let you, you know, where you saw it. it was, it was the complete, it was like, I went back in time to my freshman year with Lou, with, with Lou Holtz in South Carolina. I was like, man, what's going on? So he's getting on me about all that crazy stuff. So that was probably an eye opener for me with that. Um, the, the thing about bouncing around the teams, I think, I, I, I think for me, cause I was a six round guy yeah. and had to maybe have having some expectations of maybe being a little bit better than I thought I was and maybe making some more money earlier on than I thought I was. I think that kept me hungry. And it also kept me, um, you know, I didn't realize that the time I was playing for the bottom half of the NFL, I guess when they make up the 32 teams, somebody has to be, you know, 29, 30, 31, 32. I played for, for the last one. So I guess I didn't know it at the time, but losing that South Carolina my first year kind of showed me how to not fall into that abyss of some of that because, you know, it's one thing to lose in college, man, um, because, you know, everybody's – there's a lot of pride, and obviously there's a lot of pride in the NFL, but, like, 
playing on these just like mediocre teams in Cincinnati or, you know, of course, playing in Detroit, losing a bunch of games or losing a bunch of games in a row, you know, it can get super lonely because guys, guys can get segmented really quick in a and it's because everybody's getting their check. So, you know, after a certain point, guys will start looking for job security. Coaches start looking for job security and the locker rooms, the change in the culture of it. And you can see how a team like the Cleveland Browns can go years for years because of that. Or uh, somebody can be mediocre like a, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it, the Cincinnati Bengals. They're going to only hit a certain ceiling because a lot of that is just culture and leadership and things that go on. So, um you know, learning to lose, I guess, at South Carolina and overcoming that and then going on to win bowl games, I, that kind of kept me and showed me how to be a professional. And, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it sounds corny, but, I mean, Lou, Lou in South Carolina really prepared me to go on through that and, and to be on teams and to be a starter on those teams. Um, because there was, I mean, I, I just seen, I mean, just crazy stories of guys who just, you know, from things of, Guys don't even want to play. They just want to collect that check and don't want to give effort. So it, it, it just felt to me like you would take it away from the game and doing things like that. But uh, just like I said, I can, I don't, uh, I don't, I empathize with guys like who are on the Cleveland Browns and teams like that. But it, it, the biggest thing is not talent when you try to overhaul losing teams. The biggest thing is culture. Right, and you were on that 0-16 team with the Lions, yeah. were you not? <laughs> were you, yeah. <laughs> were you, yeah, were you rooting for the Browns to win? That final no, absolutely not, man. <laughs> my only claim to fame is that I played for the worst teams in the NFL, and I was like the only guy in the history of the NFL to play for uh, the, 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 the for the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. I'm not the Cleveland Browns, the uh, Detroit Lions. But then I was the only guy to lose every game in college, so I, I knew it was a record out there somewhere. I didn't even have to check. But now the Cleveland Browns have been added to it now, so I mean, I guess I have to put a asterisk or. or you know, we used to we used to try to equate it to like the 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 the, the Miami Dolphins and their uh, their their perfect season run and they'd crack champagne. Well, all the guys from Detroit, we'd open like you know a case of Mickey's warm Mickey's malt liquor from every time we went. You know, somebody <laughs> at least win one game and not ruin our record. So I don't we don't get that privilege anymore, man. But uh, it's, it was again, man. It was it, I, everybody always asked me what was my you know, what's the best team I love playing for? And I always say the Detroit Lions, I'm like, really? You lost every game? But that team for a while before, towards the, the last few weeks before Black Monday when everybody got canned, um, it was a really close the team. That's probably the, the, the biggest thing. That's how you can really gauge how teams really win in the NFL, the guys who are genuinely close. And they couple that with some talent and don't beat themselves. And that's why you always see, I think, teams that understand how to play for each other, maybe not so you know, with the with the, with the New England Patriots, they they more so of a military mindset. Don't let their brother down. Everybody just does their job, but they really buy into that really well. And the guys that can really be accountable are the teams that win in the NFL. And I guess now moving on. I mean, you've obviously had a lot of success post playing. Um, you know, you started Eat to Win. Just kind of take me through what went behind that, and you know, what does it kind of stand for, and kind of that platform. Yeah, Eat to Win is, um, you know, pretty much Eat stands for Effort, Attitude, Technique. Win is what's important now. And these, again, all football things that we've ever thought, taught by Coach Holtz. And we just applied it and used that moniker for 
uh, our football camp because uh, I myself, um, you know, I lost my father to uh, congestive heart failure. My mother passed away a couple years after when I was in the NFL. Uh, my partner, you know, Preston Thorne, you know, his father passed away before he even came to South Carolina. Uh, a couple other buddies of ours and teammates who helped us come up with this idea. Their parents, you know, had uh, health issues with diabetes and obesity. You know, you know all about the health and uh, the health report card in South Carolina now. You know, anything along the I ninety five corridor, we're we're tops in the country. I think Mississippi still can can hold out for us a little bit. Thanks for Mississippi for that, but we're still in the top ranks from obesity, diabetes, AIDS, all these different things. A lot of preventable diseases, and so we just try to use. Uh, you know, our, our platform football and couple that with the things that, you know, we're passionate about, um, you know, healthy eating and things that we learn. We try to use some of the things that football afforded us the opportunity to learn and bring it back to a lot of kids. So we would use football as a draw to uh, come up with a football camp. Everybody has a football camp every year. Uh, but what we want to do is have that camp and, and bring in different guys to talk and, you know, coach the kids up and interact with the kids. But while we had them there. We would uh, and just infuse them with uh, tons of uh, healthy eating stuff, preventative uh, health care things, any uh, physicals, any things they needed done, dental, dental exams. Uh, and at the same time, we'd be offering these things to the parents because we found when we put on these camps, the parents would really just hang around and watch their kids for two or three hours, you know, catching football. And with parents being so busy, doing the best that they can day to day, um, you know, that was an opportunity for them to get screenings, to get a lot of preventable uh, things and health, uh, eating nutritional uh, 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 tutorials, different things, just using it really as a, as a, uh, as a, uh, a touchstone for everybody or, or a place for everybody to get information, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, not only football, but also with healthy eating, a lot of preventable healthcare stuff, uh, resources, uh, a lot of free things, because there's so many people doing a lot of great things, especially in the health sector across South Carolina, but a lot of it was spread out, and we wanted to just try to use, again, because football, the, the one thing everybody kind of gravitates toward, so we try to utilize all that in our popularity, our platform, and, and things that affect us to, to put on a camp, but also to give the kids on the field an experience that they might get um, at a South Carolina clinic, at a Clemson camp, at, at a camp, without having to pay having to, uh, to drive to uh, go to these places or have the talent because a lot of times you know they'll find the talent in kids kids that are are kind of marginal or just being around um any physical activity we just want to give those kids that experience and so that's been really cool for us to do that we've uh, we're doing this for the last four or five years we actually took last summer off just with our with our just a chicken book we we're doing a lot of summer reading programs and uh summer school programs so that kind of took us off the football field but we still helped out with a lot of different guys' camp like uh the ellington elite camp which is held down there in berkeley we help those guys out every year uh landon cohen is a, is a gentleman who i play with in uh in detroit he's from uh, spartanburg he puts on a camp every year uh henry taylor's a former gamecock him and raymond priester they put on a camp out in barwell so we still make the camp tours even though we don't directly have a have camp last year and uh in columbia but we hope to uh, try to get them back here shortly awesome and um is there a just a just a chicken too uh, down the pipe, or you still gotta? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. We uh, we've uh, we got a couple books in the pipeline, but the next book we have coming out is gonna touch on a few things that are near and dear to the uh, game cognition, and that's kind of like the chicken curse and all those different things. So we uh, we should uh, we're on the cusp yeah. of of having it done. We have some sketches and different things that our artist Kevin Roche, who's a Carolina graduate, works for ESPN, uh, lives right there in Columbia. He's a uh, we're getting him to finish up those uh, last pieces 
for him. So hopefully we'll have it, fingers crossed, before the spring game. But uh, I might be a little bit too ambitious, but we should have it hopefully at worst before the season starts if we don't have it before the spring game. Right, and if someone wants to uh, buy a copy of Just a Chicken, where would they go for it? Yeah, they can go to justachickenthebook.com. That's our website, or they can get it on that magical place called Amazon.com. <laughs> or uh, it's across the uh, – it's all over uh, the, the bookstores in Columbia. It's at uh, Barnes & Nobles. It's on barnesandnobles.com, uh, Adams Bookstore, Todd & Moore, uh, anywhere up and down on Main Street, Street Uptown on Books, uh, Garden & Black Traditions. So we try to pretty much be obnoxious with our book and put it in. <laughs> yeah, you seem like you're doing a good job of it. Um... It's. It seems like it's taken off really well. I see it all on, on Twitter all the time, and um, the the feedback seems great from what I've seen online and things like that. So um, I think that's it, Langston. We appreciate you joining us. Man, we appreciate you, man. Thanks for letting us share and talk uh, talk about us, man. Talk about me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Right, well, uh, that was Langston. Uh, phenomenal interview. The more, the more I hear about Lou Holtz and his the more fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, and oh, that man's amazing. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, feel free to go back and uh, listen to the Eric Kimry podcast we did, uh, the initial one, and uh, where he told his Lou Holtz stories. But the the white shoes on the practice field is one of my favorite tidbits from that one, oh um, and him talking about uh, playing uh, when watching the Browns <laughs> go on sixteen, um, which is not great for me as a Cleveland. Browns I don't fan. understand how you live. Well, it's well, we, listen. This is a circle of mediocrity because Langston. No, I, I should term that better. But Langston obviously played for the Lions and played for the Lions Bengals. And Bengals. We we won't talk about what my feelings for the Bengals. And, and you're a Browns fan, and yeah. I'm, I'm a Jets fan. So we all share just insincere and utter depravity when it yeah. comes to pro sports. Yeah, I, mean, I feel bad for Langston because you know he's collected a paycheck from yeah you know, those yeah. people, and you know it, it, I'm sure it was hard on him. Playing those kind of seasons sure. where you're not picking sure. up those wins, yeah. Um, but you know, as a Browns fan, I was I was rooting for 0 16 because if you're going to be bad, be historically bad. See, that's the thing. I was rooting for the Jets to go 0 16 as well yeah. because they ship off all their players, and you're saying, okay, if you're going to be bad, be no. good at it. Yeah. And at the Jets win, and the Jets are picking sixth. At least I get a T-shirt out of it. You know, if they're going to go 0 16, I can buy a Browns T-shirt. Yeah, I get a parade. I get all that fun stuff. I got being a so. Jets fan for another year of a sixth draft pick yeah. that's going to turn into a defensive lineman. Yeah. So, no yeah. offense to Langston, the defensive line, obviously. And no offense to Langston, the <laughs> defensive line, but uh, you need a quarterback, yeah. right? So, um, unless you're the Minnesota Vikings, the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles, <laughs> or the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Yeah, but Langston, Langston was awesome. And I still speak to Kimry. I do PA for Hammond, and I still speak to him, and I still try to get yeah. Lou Holtz stories it's, out of him. I'm fascinated by the man that is Lou Holtz. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And um, Langston was great. He was a good sport. And did a lot of joking around with us as well. Yeah. So um, moving forward, a huge couple weeks for South Carolina athletics as a whole. Yeah. With the men's team, we touched a lot on that. Um, the men's team, we got baseball starting up soon, which is oh, my great. domain um, for the most part. I do a lot of basketball. <laughs> that was that was said with some force. Yeah. That's hey, your domain. I get one thing. I get I get one <laughs> thing. You know, Wes, West, and Chris West. are great <laughs> at, at recruiting and all that, and I get my sliver of baseball. So. Take that, uh, yeah, Bob. Yeah, <laughs> I get my I get my baseball. There um, you go. But it's it's great. Uh, I, I've resigned myself to you know if I ever die that just bury me at Founders Park because that's probably where I spend the majority <laughs> of my time. I was talking to my my girlfriend and we were discussing when we'd be able to see each other this fall <laughs> this spring. Good luck. And I flipped open the calendar and it's like Tuesday game, Wednesday game, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's oh like, yeah. 
but it's a lot of fun. Uh, the team, the, the guys that are on the team are, are great to cover and are always great about giving you good quotes and you know, being able to talk and um, great guys. And Coach Kingston's obviously a fun man to cover. And what's the date now? They hired him end of June. They hired him end of June, so we're coming. We're not even in a year not in yet. Not in a year, so but a co- you know what? Like several even, months. I think it's six months. Six months, seven months, eight months, somewhere yeah. in that range. Um, but it was, you know, he's a fun one to cover in that entire staff. So that's class act. So uh, practices uh, officially will start. Small stuff's going on right now, but practices are going to start at the end of January. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then all the fun stuff that goes along with basketball and baseball. Yeah. And Together. Yeah. yeah. Derek Scott's going to be pulling double duty yeah. on the Gamecock IMG. And yeah. it's going to be fun. No, the new era for baseball, I'm interested to see the – I, the fan support's always going to be there. I'm interested to see the attitude come opening day. How yeah. are, What are fans feeling? Because I believe that over the last year, year and a half, fans started to get a little irritated more so than anything mm-hmm. during baseball season. That's no, I, I've, I've met Chad Holbrook. I've spoken to Chad Holbrook. Chad Holbrook's a fantastic person and a fantastic coach. Yeah, I just believe it didn't work out the way he wanted it to yeah. late in the run. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see how fans react with Coach Kingston because it's not the name they want. No, and right. I mean, uh, he, and he be, knows that. Yeah, and it's you know he's been very you know open about embracing sure. expectations and sure. you know this is a guy that he coached at Miami like he was he, he was a volunteer assistant in Miami he mm-hmm. knows he knows and when you look at him you know I've heard stories from you know former players and guys that he's coached with and he's been great you know he's he's won everywhere and he demands a lot out of his players and he's. They love him from what I've heard and all this stuff. So he's a great uh, – seems like he'll be a good coach. Um, I, I'm excited to see what they do about pitching, obviously. Um, just <laughs> that's that's, a, that's an important start. aspect of yeah, the game of baseball. Yeah. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see what that, this team looks like because um, I don't think what they what they look like opening weekend is necessarily what they're going to look like May 12th. So it'll be a lot, of, a lot of fun to see how they develop and how they play, I guess, to their strengths and – what they can do. I mean, you take over a big-time program like South Carolina. I would argue that South Carolina is the most tradition-rich program, not named baseball, not named Southern Cal, Texas, or Rice. Maybe LSU. Yeah, LSU would be up And there. LSU's yeah. probably – I would put South Carolina fifth yeah. all time. I'd put them in probably my in, – in terms of tradition, in my easily in my top five. Yeah. But in terms of jobs in the country, it's a, it's a top ten job, top 15 job oh, in the country. Yeah. And so – because there haven't been many people no. who have been the head coach at South Carolina baseball. Yeah, I mean, when I mean, you think about uh, you got Reigns, Richardson, Tanner, Holbrook, yeah, and, and now Kingston. And, maybe and that's dating back to the seventies. Yeah, with Bobby Richardson. It's not. It's not a deep list. No. So, I just want to see how fans respond. Baseball is a great game. Baseball is a game that I think most people love, mm-hmm. and I think Carolina baseball is one that people take pride in. Up until last April, it was the only major championship that South Carolina had yeah. to claim. So, it. Hopefully they get the pitching figured out. I'm, I want to see how Adam Hill does on Fridays, because yeah. um, I want to see him throw 115 pitches and go nine innings. He's been. I mean, he's going to be very good. He's yeah. He's a good. he's a solid yeah, solid very, pitcher. Very, so. You'll see his name called early in the draft good, this year. Good. Um, and you see that a lot with the pitching staffs at Carolina. Yeah. So um, that's our show. Um, if you have any questions or anything like that, uh, join Gamecock Central. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you do that? Why are you not doing yeah, that? Yeah. If, if this is free, but. Join Gamecock Central. We got some great info on there. Um, not from not from me most of the time. <laughs> it's mostly it's, from Wes yeah, and Chris, yeah. but whatever. And, and baseball's coming up. That's, <laughs> this is my domain. Um, just 
Yeah, but subscribe now subscribe. so you understand how things work. Um, I don't know why you're not. I don't know yeah. why you're not on Game Five Central at this point. You know, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Colin C O L L Y N Taylor T A Y L O R. Uh, and Justin, we'll throw you. I am at Justin B Hall J U S T I N B H E H A. Excuse me. Whoa, I can't even spell it. Justin B Hall. Justin B Hall H A L L. An exciting postgraduate career news. Yes. On the horizon, staying local. Dealing with sports. That's as far as I'll go, and I'll drop that soon. I'll yeah. actually be at some games with, not yeah. with you, but I'll be in Same. that vicinity. It'll be yeah. fun. So, but thank you guys, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.